welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Tension, the Struggle is Real. All right, so there's two words, and they're almost used synonymously in our culture. The words wounded and the word broken. Now, let me say this. I've watched and observed people in our church over the last years go through separation, divorce, etc. And whether it's guys that bolted on their, their wives or whether it was the girls that bolted on their husbands. And I've heard people say this, man, that girl right there, so for the sake of the illustration, and it's true, let's say the guy bolted. But I've heard people say, that girl right there is broken. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. They could be wounded. We use those words so synonymous and similar at times that it's hard to differentiate. When I unpackage this narrative for you today, I, I pray that the Lord would show you personally whether you're living out of a wounded state or whether you're living out of genuinely a broken state state. The two are big time different. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 109 verse 22, he says, I am afflicted. I'm needy and my heart is wounded within me. If you're taking notes again, the word wound means to injure, to puncture, to hurt, to pierce. There's a lot of people that have been hurt and punctured. They're wounded. Wounded people, when you start to really notice the difference, there's two major manifestations that you'll see when people are functioning out of woundedness. They either isolate or they retaliate. They'll isolate. They'll go and hide and they'll cover up their crap and they don't want anybody getting close to them and they don't want to deal with real issues. I've seen people go through tension, betrayal, rejection, and others who go, oh man, they're so broken. I'm like, hmm. They're hiding, they're, they're isolating, they're covering, or they retaliate, they lash out, they're aggressive, they're self-centered. And I've seen people go through, again, some of our young girls go through a time of divorce, and I've seen some move toward brokenness, we'll unpackage it. But I've seen some move toward woundedness. And if they had their freedom to do so, they would attack, they would lash out, they would stab, they would come back, and they would take that guy down. And it's sad. Wounded people will force their own strategies, their own agendas, their own methods. They have their own solutions. When you start to watch them, they're, they're not leaning into the things of God or the solutions or the word of God, scripture of God. When you, when you watch them, they still have a wardrobe full of their own strategies, solutions, and agendas that they're, they're going to push. They, they will force that and, and push it on out there. I've seen wounded people. I'm like, they've gone through some tension. They've gone through some hurt, but they're still all about themselves. Danny, we've seen it. Brokenness, David would pray in Psalm 51, one of the most powerful 
chapters in the entire Bible, probably the most powerful thing David penned, here's what he said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. Brokenness. The word broken means to be crushed internally, solistically at the soul level and spirit level. It means to be crushed with godly grief when you've jacked it up and you've messed it up and you've really sinned. It means that this grief of the Lord comes over you and you're like, I have absolutely violated the heart of God. It, it implies godly sorrow. Paul would write that in Corinthians saying that there is a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance without regret. Oh, I'm broken. I'm crushed. I'm, I'm emptied of my solutions and my strategies. And broken people repent where wounded people want to repay. Broken people, Lord, you've got to take over. There's a lot of people that come into church week after week and they're functioning out of woundedness and they wonder why they're not free, but they're still nursing wounds and you've got to, you've got to be careful. You know, as you sit here this morning, listen, eliminate family members and friends and don't think, how can I share this message with them? Sit here today and go, how does this apply to me? Don't worry about fixing someone else. Our tendency at times when we hear a message such as this, as I unpackage it, is, well, my sister needs to hear this one. Or my ex needs to hear this one. The second Samuel introduces us in a strong way to a wounded man and a broken man. A, a, a wounded man and a broken man. Um, we'll look at broken first. Second Samuel chapter 11. It says, starting in verse 1, then it happened in the spring. It was the time of year that kings went out to battle. David stayed at home. Da David. David, a man that would be labeled in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart. Then it happened, David, it was time for kings to go out to battle. David stayed at home. David was probably in his 60s at this time, if you go back and study. The scripture says that David, his name means beloved, inquired about this girl next door by the name of Bathsheba. And the scripture is very clear to say that Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, and she was the wife of Uriah. David inquired about a girl that had a daddy and a husband. Check her out. Then it happened. David sent and took Bathsheba. David lay and slept with Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. She tells David, I'm, I've conceived. D David he functions out of a wound for a period of time. David calls his bloodthirsty nephew, Joab, little general, cocky, little hot-tempered dude. Hey, uh, here's what we need to do. He calls him off the battlefield. It was the time of year that kings go out to battle. David was supposed to be somewhere else. And, 
hey, Joab, put Uriah in the front lines and withdraw the troops and let's kill him. So, so David sleeps with Bathsheba, who has a daddy named Eliam and a husband named Uriah. And then David thinks the best way to cover my tail and to cover my trail is to kill him. If we can eliminate him, we can't, we, 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 we can't necessarily prove that he didn't get her pregnant before he died. He has him killed. So when you start to study the narrative, adultery leads to covering sin, and covering sin ends up leading to murder. 2 Samuel 12, next chapter, Nathan the prophet appears and confronts David. David's been living in a wounded state for a year. I'm going to cover it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to do my thing. I'm king. And Nathan looks at him and he goes, hey, uh, David, there was this little dude, man. He was broke as a joke. And he had this one little lamb. And he was feeding that little lamb. And he he loved that little lamb. And uh, all of a sudden, this traveler came to town. And the rich man who owns all of these restaurants and the grocery stores, you know, he's got all this stuff. He's, he's loaded, right? This traveler comes to town, and he goes to the rich man, and he goes, man, I need a place to stay, and I need something to eat. And instead of the rich man taking him down to the grocery and tightening him up with some ribeyes or whatever, he looks at the neighbor down the road and says, that dude down there, let's kill his lamb, and you need it. Hey, 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 David, that man was poor and broke. He didn't have much, but what he had, he loved. And, but, but David, this other guy had everything. And he killed that man's only thing. What should happen to that dude? David burns. He's like, man, that is, that is jacked up. That's brutal. That dude needs to die. He needs to pay him back at least four, five, 20-fold. That's jacked up. And Nathan goes, uh, you're the man. That's what you did. David repents. David turns and he goes, that's me. I, I, I took Bathsheba. I killed her husband. That, that's me. David later in his brokenness writes Psalm 51 where he spends all this time pinning out his confession against you and you only have I sinned, O God. And then he goes into this cleansing, please blot out my transgression. Please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. Then he moves to a place of consecration in this. Lord, I want you to renew back your spirit inside of me. And then he moves to a place of contrition where he writes the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. And contrition is the ability to remember the pain of your sin without erasing the video of it. It's, oh God, it's godly grief and godly sorrow. And though he's broken a list of consequences and Second Samuel say will follow chapter 12 on. The, the baby that Bathsheba conceives dies. But he ends up marrying her anyway, and David had multiplied in women. If you look at Deuteronomy 17, 17, the scripture says, the king should not multiply in wives or in horses and trust an army lest his heart turn from God. And he had multiple wives. 
So the baby, initial baby dies, and then she conceives again, and they give birth to Solomon. He becomes kind of a main player in Scripture. But it's bad. David has all these kids from different women. Michael was one of his wives. And he's got this one son by the name of Amnon. And Amnon, this one son, finds Tamar, this daughter, really attractive of David's. And he pretends that he's sick and he's dying. And Tamar comes in to take care of him. And he ends up raping her and violating her. And Absalom, another son of David, gets wind of it, and he's so stinking bitter that when you read a little bit later in chapter 13, Absalom has Amnon killed. He's bitter. He's raging. He's ticked at the world. Stop for one second. John Koblentz wrote a book called Beauty for ashes. Joyce Meyer has a book, Beauty for Ashes. I don't want that one. I want this one. John Coblentz, Beauty for Ashes, the best book and resource I've ever used for dealing with people with sexual abuse. Barb knows it. That book is so good. And it's based on the story of Amnon raping Tamar and some of the stuff that Tamar went through. I've given that book... I used to buy cases of it and give it out. So many of the, the women and girls that we would deal with that had been violated sexually, we would give them that book. Absalom kills him. There's hate in the family. There's dysfunction in the family. There's chaos in the family. Chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. Absalom Eight years later, eight years have now passed, and Absalom sends word, and he goes, tell my dad, tell David I want to see him. But he's raging, and he's bitter, and he's mad, and he only wants to see David for one reason. He doesn't want any reconciliation in the relationship. Absalom has reached a place where he's so power hungry, he wants to take over as king. He wants power, and he wants authority. Tell dad I want to see him. Tell the king I need to see him. He's raging. He's bitter. He's mad. It's like, Absalom, chill out. One of my favorite books, A Tale of Three Kings, by Gene Edwards, lays out the story of Saul, David, and Absalom. If you want an incredible read, one of the best books I've ever read on leadership, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, I would highly encourage you to get it. David won't meet with Absalom. I'm not going to meet with him. He's nuts. He's crazy. He's tilted so bad. He's power hungry. So Absalom does what a mad, bitter man will do. He goes to second in charge in his mind. He goes to Joab. Joab, again, the bloodthirsty nephew general of David. Joab's got a farm. Joab has all these fills. He's got all this produce. And, and, Absalom says, I'll get him. And he sets fire to his farm, and he burns everything Joab has down. I'm telling you right now, David has broken. David has repented. David has cried out to the Lord, but there's some jacked up stuff going on. And I promise you, 
You go back to when David lived some 4,000 years ago, and if cops and Jerry Springer had existed, he and his family would have been on it. I'm telling you, it's true. David, your family is so jacked up. Then you get to chapter 15, and a man by the name of Ahithophel is introduced to the narrative. I know most of y'all have done a thorough study on the life of Ahithophel. Matter of fact, you're probably going, who is he? So when you pick up the story here in 2 Samuel 15, the scripture in verse 12, chapter 15, you can read it. Ahithophel is in church. He's at the altar. He's respected. He's making sacrifices and burning incense offering. He's doing all this kind of cool God stuff in church. Pretty good dude right there. Or at least that would be the general observation. Then you get down to verse 31, and it says that Ahithophel has turned on David. Psalms even talks about how Ahithophel was a confidant and a counselor and a sidekick. It's who David would go to and lean into for counsel. And now Ahithophel has joined up over here with Absalom. And so instead of Ahithophel sitting down and giving David counsel and encouraging David. Now he's gone to his son who is power hungry, who is bitter, and who is raging. Ahithophel, you've got such misguided passion. You've got such hate in your advice. Uh, uh, you went to college to be a counselor and you've got this great degree. Like Les Parrott was saying with he and Leslie, I mean, we're psychologists, Right. And we're still having to work on this stuff. And Ahithophel, you went to college and you've got a PhD in counseling. And people look at you and go, this is a sharp dude. What happened to you? You get to chapter 16, verse 23. And it says that the counsel that Ahithophel gave in those days was as if God himself was speaking. Wow. That, that, that's a strong like reputation to have. But now you're... Joining up with Absalom. Now you've turned against David. Now you're raging and you're bitter. What is your problem, Ahithophel? That, that's a pretty cool reputation. Guy's been around church. Walk in, yeah, man. He's up there in the front. You can count on him. But he's raging. Then you get to chapter 17. I'm telling you, pick it up in 2 Samuel 11 and read 11. Then it happened 12. Nathan confronts him. 13, 14, 15. And now you get to chapter 17. And Ahithophel wants David dead. Why do you want him dead? You were his confidant. Y'all were bros. Y'all did life together. And now you want to see him dead? You want to kill him? Saul tried to kill him. Other people have tried to kill him. And David is hanging out with these other sages and these other God-style guys. Listen to this. What do you think, man? What do y'all think? Don't you think he ought to die? Don't you think he, he, should, he should suffer and die right now? Why, why, why would you want to kill him? He looks at Hushai, who is another respected kind of counselor guy, in verses 7 through verses 14 here in chapter 17. Don't miss this, Steve. Don't miss it. He looks at these other guys and he said, what do you think? Don't you think we ought to kill him? And Hushai says, Stop it. 
know you can't kill him. He's God's anointed. I know you're mad. I know you're bitter, but you can't do that. And the scripture says, verse 23, that Ahithophel, he went home. Once he realized that his advice and his counsel was not going to be heeded, Ahithophel went home, got his house in order, got his affairs in order, and then he went out and he hung himself and died. Well, that's an interesting dude. Why was he so wounded? Why was he so bitter? Ahithophel, that's sad. Who are you? Second Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 3. And Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam. Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam. Second Samuel 23, verse 34. Ahithophel was the father of Eliam. Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, but Ahithophel was the daddy of Eliam. Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. If you read this, you go, man, that's sick. Why would a dude want to kill David? Why would a dude be so bitter? I get it. A dude took your granddaughter and he was your sidekick, you were his confidant, you were his counselor. Y'all were hanging together, y'all prayed together, y'all worded out together, y'all did life together, and this dude who is king, who you were his confidant, he looks next door. Go get that chick for me. David, you knew it was thinking Ahithophel's granddaughter. That was your buddy's granddaughter. And not only did you have sex with her and her get pregnant, but you killed your granddaughter's husband. Then you moved his granddaughter into your castle with you. I hit the fellow, I understand why you got mad. I understand why you got bitter. But we do know based on just life and principle and counseling and life coaching, we do know that bitterness does more to the vessel in which it is stored than it does to the object on which it is poured. We, we understand that you were drinking the poison, but you wanted David to die David repented. David really broke. I, I, I wish that 2 Samuel 13 would have had David coming to you and crying his eyes out, telling you that he was so sorry for what he had done to your family, and we don't read that in Scripture. I, I wish he would have done that. I get why you were bitter, but, but for 12 years you nursed a wound. For 12 years you leveraged an angle of how can I retaliate when the time is right? 
Back to chapter 15, he continued to go to church. He offered sacrifices. He continued to counsel. He looked the part. I'm telling you that's a serious thing today. There's so many guys in ministry that function out of a need to be needed more than they do out of a sincere call of God on their life. And they're wounded deep down inside. If you cut them open, they're functioning out of a wound, not out of brokenness. And they, they, they will leverage their agendas and their strategies and their methods and, and they hurt so many people around them with their bitterness and confusion. You've got to stop and go, Am I wounded or have I truly become broken? I'm going to unpackage this for you. Because wounded people love to wound people, but healed people love to heal people. Hopeful people love to offer hope for people. And saved people want to really reach out and save other people. But wounded people and hurt people want to retaliate and lash out. And we went through this about 11 years ago with one of our close friends. And people were dogging him and slandering him. And they didn't know what was going on. They only knew that he was a public figure. And they, they were taking shots because, well, he's an athlete. And we know how those guys are. But his wife had bolted and his wife had been unfaithful. And his wife just dogged him. And he didn't retaliate. He didn't lash out. And he split the millions they had. Here, you, you want to leave me? Still gave her half without arguing. And it was like, you haven't dogged her. He goes, that's my kid's mom. She doesn't see the light. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what he did in his professional life, it paled in comparison to the way he handled the betrayal and the rejection and the divorce. What he did there, I wanted to give him a standing O every day. And Barb and I walked through that with him, and it's like he was broken. And we've seen others go through. Betrayal and hurt, and they're wounded. You see, tension will always lead you toward either becoming wounded or becoming broken. Tension is going gonna, is gonna to create something inside of you. How am I going to respond? And you're either going to run to the God-style stuff or you're going to run to yourself. And I'm telling you right now, we still see it. Wounded people have a rebellious heart. There's tension that's happened, and I'm wounded. I've been injured and punctured, and, but I still have solutions and strategies and agendas, and I, I'm going to work my angle. I'm wounded. Their will has not been crushed. They will promote and protect self until the sun goes down. Well, you got such a rebellious heart because I'm wounded and wounded people live by guilt and shame and I will promise you this I will promise you this they will inflict guilt and shame on other people 
because you give what you've got. Ahithophel, why, 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 why stay there? You knew better. You were a counselor. You were a confidant of, of, of David and many others, and you, you, were, you were in the Word, and you knew truth, and you knew God, and a broken person has a surrendered will. They yield to the Holy Spirit. Shh. Listen, listen, listen. They forgive themselves and they forgive others. How did you become broken? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. But I got to a place where I could forgive myself because it's never a hundred to nothing in regards to when some chaos happens. I'm not saying it's 50-50, but it takes two freaks to tie a knot. And all of us contribute to chaos and tension at times. But a broken person knows that judgment belongs to the Lord. They've reached the place where they go, I can forgive me and I can forgive others. A wounded person, because of this rebellious heart, they become arrogant, inflated thinkers. I'm telling you, there is such a spirit of superiority that I see existing. Their hearts are wounded and they're going to stay in a position of power and control. They'll play power and control games with you. And when you hang out with them, listen it will eventually come out where they're still holding a grudge against somebody. Why are you holding grudges? Why are you dogging this person and that person and that person? Why? When people live here as arrogant thinkers, here's something that you can see. If they want your opinion, they'll give it to you. They're wounded. A broken person has reached a place of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Your identity starts to become who you are in Christ. You can live authentic. A broken person has reached a, has reached a place where they're not starving for attention, acceptance, and affirmation. A wounded person no matter how they can get attention and acceptance and some type of affirmation, there's a payoff for them. Their hearts are rebellious. They're going to stay in a position, I promise you, to leverage their wound. But you're going to notice me and you're going to at least pay attention to me. I don't care how jacked up the attention is, I'm going to get some. A wounded person, because of being rebellious in heart and having this arrogant thinking pattern, they live a life of apathy. They're apathetic. They resent others. They criticize. They condemn. They don't care who gets hurt because ultimately all that matters is protecting their pain. I will tell you how much I will be hurt. I'll tell you what kind of pain I'll go through. It's not working. It's, it's apathetic. <laughs> a broken person has spiritual awareness. There's this discernment. Listen to me. They have freedom. They have true friends. They've moved to a place where they're content with who they are in Christ. They've got this spiritual awareness that God is in control. I'm not. 
No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. God's got my back. He's got my side. No matter where I go today, God is with me, and God is in me, and God is for me. You see, a broken person can get there. Wounded, it's not happening. They just leak with apathy. They're guarded. <sighs> Heisman, they will not trust. Relationships are disposable. They have zero desire to be known or to know anybody else. They're guarded. How's that working for you? I'm not going to let anyone in. Broken people will trust. Broken people will trust again. They risk being rejected. What happened to you? I got broken. You're not going to hurt me. I will define the terms of what this look. Been broken. I can risk being rejected again. But because I lift up my eyes to the hills and my strength comes from the Lord, and the Lord is my strength. And that's where I find my identity. How do you trust again? Because I've allowed God to heal my hurts instead of me to nurse the wound of the hurt. You see a wounded person, they're guarded, and it leads them to living a flesh-driven life where a broken person lives a spirit-driven life, but a flesh-driven life, you watch the patterns of a person who's living out of the flesh. They're not quick to bless and encourage others. They, they, will, they will shred you up. They will tell everybody around them how bad the other person sucks that hurts them, and they want it, they want it known. If you knew how bad and jacked up that person was, you'd never want to be with them. You would never want to be around them. I can't believe that you're their friend. No, I can't believe that you're so bitter. Wounded people love to keep score of wrongs done to them. Wounded people really want grace extended to them, but don't want it extended to the violator. I've been doing this series, if you follow me on Facebook, I've been doing this thing on hello, my name is. And I've written like four, and I've got quite a few more I've got to work on this week. And it's just dudes that I know. But the first one, I did a whole thing on a guy by the name of Narcy, and he's so narcissistic. And if you read narcissistic uh, flavor and personality of what I've pinned on Narcy, you'll go, wow. And, and then I did one on bullshooter. It's because I pastor and I have to clean up my language. <laughs> You're talking about talking more trash in Watergate. Bullshooter's got it on. And I sent Barb a note this morning that I got a note from this person, a private message, and it says, hey, I don't know if you remember me, and she gives her name. My husband and I were at a Bible study you were leading about 18 years ago in Florida. I remember. She says, uh, the couple that was hosting the Bible study that played with the pirates, if you recall, I gave my life to Christ, and you baptized me in the hot tub that night. Oh, well, I, re I remember that with her husband there, and it was a powerful time. She goes, our daughter has hooked up with Narcy, who's a bullshooter, 
and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate through this as a parent. She's 23 years old and she's moved out. What do we do? So, so I've got ISO who isolates. I've got Slick who's so smooth with his jargon. And I'm about to write some stuff tomorrow on Vic. He's a victim of everything. There's a control freak and there's a steamroller and there's a gossip. We, we got plenty more we, we, got to, we got to deal with before we get out of the hello my name is. But when you start to go through this right here and you look at a person who is flesh driven, you're talking about victim. Hey, what's up? You ain't going to believe what happened to me. You don't even know what I'm going through. My life sucks worse than anybody you know. How's that working for you? How is that sour, negative, defeated attitude really working for you? Man, I'm telling you, a person who's broken is empowered by the Holy Spirit. They live in an address of hope, not hurt. They honestly can own Romans 8, 28, and 29. All things work together for good, for God's glory. God's going to bring about something unique in this. I'm broken, but God is up to something good. I'm, I'm good with that. A person who is wounded lives defiant and deflects. Man, you're talking about playing the blame game. Won't take ownership. It's always somebody else's fault. And I'm telling you right now, you listen to people and just hear, how quick are they to own? Hey, I jacked that up. A broken person, they live out of authentic obedience. They live by faith. But, hey, man, that's my fault. I, 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 take it, I take that one. Why? Because it's for the glory of God. Man, I know I'm not perfect. I know that no one else is perfect. And I know that I am subject to royally jack it up. Broken. A wounded person, they live out of constant frustration. They're constantly frustrated, unforgiveness and bitterness. They argue, they nurse their wounds, they get mad, they stay mad, they like being mad. I don't like being around mad people. Like Caleb said to Jesse, I don't enjoy being mad. I don't either. Some people just argue, pick fights. Why? Because they're wounded. They're functioning like Absalom or Ahithophel. They're wounded. They're not willing to let God break them. A broken person, man, they continue in faith. Without faith, they know they can't please God. And those who come to God must believe God really exists. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. Krista, those who live by faith, they, they've looked at all that junk and all that pain. And they, they don't say, well, that didn't happen. And they don't live in denial. But they look and go, you know what? I'm going to allow God to redeem that for his glory and my good. Because the enemy would love for you to look at your past, whether it's personal failure or wounds that other people created for you, and go, wallow in it, lay in it. My past, by the glory of God and by the grace of God, my past is not a hammock to lay in. It's a springboard I jump off of to go into the future by the grace of God. Barbara and I have been married for 28 plus years, and I can tell you, we've dealt with 
a lot of people that have stayed wounded. And by the grace of God, we haven't done it all right, but when we've had to work through our chaos, we really desire to move toward brokenness. 28 and a half years ago, I love her. We're in this thing together. We want to be broken and pure before the Lord. We don't go to sleep with a bunch of stress and this arguing stuff. We just don't do it. You ever get ticked at each other? Pissed? Raising hell? Yes! Whatever word you want to use in Loganville. Yeah, yeah, we've been there. Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. The word for anger there means don't go down, don't go to sleep living in denial. Y'all got some stuff going on? Yeah. All right, look, we're, we're, we're both ticked about this situation right here. Okay. We are. But we're both so physically and mentally and emotionally spent right now. Talking about it right now is not going to be a good idea. Because when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, I can blow a gasket. And I'm a bully. Thank you, Bart, for not saying anything. So I'm a bully. <laughs> but it's like I don't want to let the sun go down. Hey, let's, let's talk through this. We need to for clarity. But we keep going. It's like we want to love each other. But wounded people won't do that. I'm going to nurse it. I'm right. None of us are always right. Listen, if you're living out of woundedness today, Stop. Stop. Listen to the question. It's not if you're living out of woundedness today. What areas are you living out of woundedness in today? Seriously. I've got family members that function out of woundedness. I've got friends that stop. You don't have to stay there. As we coach up our next generation for Barbara and I, stop it. it. The enemy says, no, it's okay. Be mad. Be bitter. Stop it. Some of you have gone through it. I don't know, Rachel. Felicia. Jen, I don't know. So I don't know what it's like. But... I don't know what it's like to be left and be betrayed and be hurt. I don't. I, I really don't know what that's like in marriage. I don't. But I know what it's like to be wounded in it versus being broken in it. Circumstances never make you. They just reveal you. What do you need to deal with? I would. We had a ton of people this morning just... I need to spend some time kneeling at the cross. I got to let some of this stuff go. I want to live a broken and contrite life. If the sacrifices of God, Tara, are a broken and a contrite heart, that's what I want to live. We want to coach you up. There will be a team of people here that will pray with you, that will intercede with you. But if you walk out of here holding on to the wounds of bitterness and resentment, resentment and hate and different things, and you walk another step, even another hour, another day, with a wounded heart, I'm just telling you right now, you're killing yourself. You are living a life of spiritual suicide. You're hanging yourself every day. We learn a lot from Ahithophel. We learn a lot from Absalom. We learn a lot from David. We learn a lot. Everything I share with you is in the Word with these guys.
I invite you to healing. I invite you to living a surrendered life and letting God really call the shots of your heart. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.